0: Welcome to the Testimony Service podcast, the podcast that will encourage you, increase your faith, and draw you closer to God. I'm your host, Martina. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So in an effort to help our listeners' faith increase, each episode will begin with a scripture. Today's scripture comes from Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And now for episode 36, Least Likely.
1: My name is Renee. Chandler. I am a pastor in Chicago. Our church is Shallow Missionary Baptist Church located on 10540 South Halstead in Chicago. We right in the heart of the hood. I was born and raised in Chicago. Uh, We were raised in what we call Bronzeville. Okay, and we were raised in a poverty-stricken community with drugs and alcohol and prostitution and gang activity. The gang in our neighborhood was the Black Peace Stones. I became a stone at the age of nine, you know, and I didn't really want to get involved in gangs, but that was my way of surviving in the neighborhood. And it was a way for me to protect my family. I'm the oldest of five kids. There were rodents in our house, rats and roaches. I'm just going to get real, y'all. We had little or nothing. And so, you know, my mother used to make meals out of almost little or nothing, neck bones and white potatoes and pork and beans, and hot dogs and You know, and so we used to play in the alley. You know, we never even knew what a park was until my mom moved out of that neighborhood. But some tragic things happened to me when I was in that neighborhood prior to my mother moving out of it uh, when I was around about 14. But one of the first tragic things that happened with me was that I uh, caught pneumonia. I was around about in sixth grade and it made me very, very weak. The second thing that happened to me as a kid was I uh, got hit in my left eye with a baseball bat. I I love baseball. Matter of fact, I got so good, I played high school and college baseball, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. As a result of that, I'm blind out of my left eye, but despite being blinded in my left eye, I was still able to complete high school. I was able to complete college. I have a bachelor's degree. I have uh, two master's degrees, one in clinical counseling and another one in pastoral counseling. But anyway, I didn't join the gang because I wanted to. I joined the gang because I just got tired of fighting every day. So it was a means of survival. And I knew at the tender age of nine that if I did go ahead on and get in it, that I wouldn't have no more problems. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, and so we moved out of that neighborhood. Now, mind you, I'm half blind in my left eye. I had caught pneumonia, so I was kind of weak. Almost in every neighborhood in Chicago, especially the African American neighborhood, there's a gang. So in this particular neighborhood, they were disciples. I couldn't tell the disciples I was a stone. So I blended in with them as a mean to survive. I've done a lot of negative things that I'm not really proud of. I don't really like dwelling on it because I know that right now in my life, God has had a bigger purpose for me. But back then, I didn't know it. When you're young, you don't think about some of the crazy things that you do. And I'm sure anybody listening to this broadcast did some crazy things when they were young. And they might be still doing some crazy stuff right now. But I'm a fast forward. I was a baseball player. I was a pretty good baseball player. I was good enough to get a scholarship to go to college. But in my teenage years, I still was heavily involved in gang activity. The reason why I don't want to dwell on the gang activity so much is because I don't want the audience to think that I'm glorifying gang activity. But I do want to point out that that was a real huge part of my adolescent and teenage years. I learned how to smoke cigarettes when I was nine. A girl by the name of Brenda Westbrook taught me how to inhale. I stole some cigarettes, went in the alley, and she saw me puffing. She said, boy, you don't know how to smoke. Let me show you how to inhale. So she showed me how to inhale at nine years old. That entire summer, a 9-year-old, I was hooked on cigarettes. But let me just fast forward up to about 12. I know I'm going back and forth, but when I finish, you'll know why I'm doing this. All right, so I was born as a result of an affair. Okay, my mother and father, they were never together. They just kind of hooked up when I was born. But one of the things I love my mother for is is that despite them not being able to get along, she still allowed me to get to know who my father was. When I went to his home, spent the nights over there, he was a street guy. My father never worked a day in his life. My father used to live off of women. I don't care what nobody say. If your father's doing something positive or negative, kids look up to that and they want to be that. And I wanted to be who my father was. But one of the things my father used to always tell me was, son, I need you to get your sheepskin. I don't need you to be like this. I'm not going to make no poor hustler out of you. But he didn't mind getting hot with me. I'm talking about smoking weed, dropping pills, snorting cocaine, whatever you could think of, drinking whiskey all night. Me and my father did that from the age of 14 all the way up until I was about maybe 30. My father... I was more like a friend to me. He used to let me have my friends come over and spend the night. He used to let me just have girls come over at 15, 16, 17 years old. My father taught me how to hustle. He told me to get a quarter pound of weed, and you can turn that quarter pound into a half a pound. The reason why I'm being so raw is because I want to let people know that God can take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick. He always chooses the least likely to succeed. And so by the time I graduated and went away to college, to Central State University, uh, I had experienced what a guy in their mid-20s or 30s would have experienced at 16, 17, 15 years old. I think going to college was the best thing that ever happened to me. He is a guy from the ghetto, from Chicago. who used to gangbang, and all I knew was the ugly life. You know, my knowledge just was not broad, and so... That freshman year was like a paradigm shift for me. It was a culture shock to me. But I met some of the best people and the greatest people in the world at Central State University. So I majored in social work. Uh, had a rough time, almost got kicked out because, you know, I didn't know how to study. But I started taking those courses, uh, communication, speaking, sociology, psychology, psychiatry, all those You know, I I just had never experienced that before. Almost got caught up in the party atmosphere, but I realized that, you know, I needed to buckle down if I wanted to get my degree. You know, I went to college to play baseball, but in the winter of 1975, came back home for Christmas break, was hanging out with some of my, you know, former gang-banging friends, got into a fight with a guy, and uh, the guy pulled out a pistol, and I was the only one who got shot my right leg. So I had to sit out my freshman year. Never ever regained any of my speed. And so that sparked me to want to study and get my degree because I knew there wasn't no chance for me going pro. Okay, so I hung out with a real rough crowd at Central State. And uh, it was about 10 of us. A lot of them was on the baseball team. But none of those guys graduated. I was the only one who got my degree. So when I came home in 1980, everybody I used to run with smoking cocaine. And that's when cocaine had infiltrated the community. Uh, I fell into that little trap. First time I hit it, I got hooked. You know, now mind you, I got out of college. I found a good job. I was working in the projects with kids. I had formed the first uh, little league in the projects. I had formed a basketball team down there, you know, uh, designed recreational educational activities for those kids. And uh, I taught uh, GED at the same time. So I did all that, even though I was still getting high. After about three years, I couldn't hide it. You know, I, you know, I started doing everything that dope fiends do. You know, I started stealing, and I started missing work. But bottom line is, is one day, I decided to join the military. I called myself trying to move to another geographical location. You know, and Teddy Pendergrass wrote this song, You Can't Hide From Yourself. Everywhere you go, there you are. You know, if you don't get yourself together in Chicago, if you move to California, you're gonna be messed up in California. So when I joined the military, I was messed up in the military. So that same behavior went to the military with me. And what they did was they kicked me out because I did some stuff in the military that I'm not proud of. And so they sent me home with about three or four hundred dollars and a one-way ticket to Chicago, and my addiction blew up around 1980 all the way up until around about 1990. And one day I just looked up in the sky and just said, God, I know you got more for me than this. And so what happened was I walked to this treatment center. I did five days of detox. I did 30 days in a rehabilitation center. And then I did a year in a halfway house. And after that year, I wasn't looking back anymore. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is get you some help for addiction. Get you some help. Some people don't need that. Everybody don't have to go to treatment. But I did pray. And that's where the Lord led me. After I left there, I started getting heavily involved in mental health. And I became a mental health counselor working at this agency called Miles Square Community Mental Health Center. I worked there for about three or four years and uh, met some psychologists and met some individuals who used to challenge me. That was a, a real beautiful experience. And so I left there, and they used to challenge me about getting some more credentials. And so I went to college and got my couple of master's degrees continue to stay clean, continue to put one foot in front of the other one. You know, I I don't think that I would be who I am today had it not been for me going through addiction. A lot of people look at me and say, man, I want what you got. But I don't think that people really understand what I had to go through to get to where I am, you know, today. Today, what I do is I am a therapist for individuals who just got released from prison. So I provide therapy for people who most folks don't want to be bothered with. I was ordained as a minister in 2001. I sat under this pastor from about 1996 all the way up to about 2001. And uh, he taught me a lot. Uh, I branched off from him and started my own ministry in 2005, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I was a pastor at least for about, 10 years independently. And then uh, when the uh, economy crashed, we had a difficult time with our church. And so one day I just told all our folks, let's go over to my pastor's church. And we just go sit here and fellowship with him. We stayed for the whole service. And after the service was over, he asked me to get up and say something. And so I told him what I'm telling you all about, the difficulty we had over there from a financial standpoint. And he told me, he said, well, I just started 1130 service. Now, he my pastor's church is 100 years old. They're really established. And so I wasn't expecting for him to say what he said, but that's just how God does things. He said, I want you to facilitate my 1130. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead on and facilitate the 930 service. My church only had about 75 members, but over at his church, he got about four or 500 members. And so we just joined in with him. It's been a beautiful situation over there. So about six months into me being there, he asked me to be his co-pastor for both services. So now I'm the co-pastor at a shallow missionary Baptist church. And the Reverend Rodney Patterson is the pastor over there. But I just want to just say that God is good and he is real. And I believe the scripture that says, wherefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it's not only a, a newness that in the course of time grows old or outdated. It's a newness that continues to become new. That means that every day you wake up, you reckon up with fresh grace and mercy. You were in God's mind before you were in your mother's womb. You are God's idea. Never, ever forget that. He's the one who mixed that DNA cocktail that created you. You are a custom-designed, one-of-a-kind, original masterpiece. You might have been neglected and abused, deprived and denied, but in spite of every effort by the enemy to destroy you, diminish you, defame you, or discourage you, God is the one who brought you through and kept you from losing your mind. God is in the process right now of creating you, fashioning you, molding you, designing you, refining you, and perfecting you since the moment he thought of you. You know, yeah, when God thought of you, he was working on a good idea. Come on, give God some praise. Listen, I wrote a book called Going Outside. It's a book about resilience. It's a book about never giving up. And it's a book that illustrates the supernatural miracle work and power of God. So thank you. I appreciate you for even asking me to come on here and uh, I didn't want to have no script. I just wanted to come as I was.
0: Yeah. I, pre- I appreciate that Renee. Um, yeah. Your story is definitely proof that uh, nothing is too hard for God and it doesn't matter. Yeah. What you come from. Yeah. He could change your life. And so I love everything that you shared and for not holding back and being raw and, and real. Um, Because, yeah, that's what we need to hear because, you know, a lot of times, you know, we can look at the church as a whole and just think, oh, you know, I can never attain that or, you know, just feel totally excluded. So, yeah, your testimony is definitely powerful. So, thank you.
1: Praise God. No, no. Thank you. I appreciate
0: you. Yeah. So, I was just going to ask about how you talked about the same behavior just following you everywhere that you went from college to coming back home to joining Uh the military. just As a practical piece of advice for the listeners, what would you say was beneficial for you to actually, like, break that cycle?
1: I I was just always hard-headed. Let me just be honest honest with you. I was always, and always felt like I could handle anything, whether it be drinking the most, smoking the most weed, dropping the most pills, smoking the most cocaine. You know, God just showed me that I wasn't really supposed to be doing none of that. So what made me turn around to answer your question, and unfortunately, this is what some people have to come to, is was me hitting rock bottom, was me not having a roof over my head, not having money to buy me food, not being able to buy clothes, walking around in the dead of the winter with no socks on my feet in the windbreaker for a coat, uh, not eating for days, being homeless, helpless, aimless, being embarrassed. I didn't even go around my mother for maybe about eight or nine months straight because I was just too embarrassed. What made me turn around was the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit always talked to me, even when I was using he always will say, you better than this. You're better than this. Whenever you get ready. And see, God talks to me in the audible. He talks to me in dreams. He's talking to me right now as I speak to you. And so when I was younger, I just didn't heed to that voice. But now I know exactly who God is. He's the truth. He's the way. He's the truth and the light. You know, everything that's true. In my life, that's what he is. Everything that's negative that tries to attack me or try to get me to go to the left, that's the devil. You know, so God has simplified it for me. So what I do to try to sustain his spirit in me is I read positive books like The Seven Habits for Highly Effective Living. Peter Sengate The Five Disciplines on Personal Mastery. I might read uh, The Art of War. My pastor is an avid reader. We apply those books to our lives and see how they kind of fit with where we are now. I try to have some structure about my life. Every morning, without fail, I got to pray. That's the first thing I got to do when I get up in the morning. I have to pray. And then after I pray, I read the devotional. But I make sure I do that first before I have my coffee, before I have a conversation with somebody, before I speak to somebody. I give God that time. I give him that time in the morning when I first get up, you know, and I'm a firm believer what you put in you is eventually going to come out of you, whether it be positive or negative, you know, so as a man, think of it in his heart, so is he. That's what King Solomon said.
0: Yeah, that's good. I love how you were talking about how you co-lead the church with, you said, what's the pastor's name that you co-lead with?
1: Right. Rodney. Rodney Patterson. Rodney mm-hmm. Patterson. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I love that you were able to, let's say, be humble and obedient enough to like merge your churches. I just love that you guys were able to be unified when a lot of times it seems like there can be competitions. You know, this church is right here and there's a church down the block. How do you think coming together um, and co-pastoring with him as opposed to staying separate has grown you individually? And then how do you think it's grown the members by you guys coming together.
1: It has really grown me to a degree where, you know, his teaching style, my pastor raises has raised a bar. You know, he he is, do you know who you ever heard of Eric Thomas? Oh, I love I love people? E. T. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm like his godfather, right?
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh I brought his name up is because my pastor is Eric's mentor. Mm. And uh, uh, Pastor Patterson just wrote a book too called Trumping the Race Car. It's a 10 point solution focused book that attacks racism. Mm. So when you mention my pastor and you're asking, you know, how did it, you know, help me in terms of growth? Tremendously. It has helped me tremendously. Even at this age in my life, uh, it has. My pastor is like, Jesse Jackson's godson. One time he asked me to go to a meeting. And I'm sitting at the table with Jesse Jackson. What's that congressman name? Bobby Rush. And a few other people. You know, I'm, I'm sitting at the table with people like that. And I was like, wow. You know, one time he asked me to come go with him to a, some type of community outing. He said, Jesse was going to be there. I said, man, I ain't never even seen Jesse Jackson. I ain't never been around. He said, well, look, I want you to just walk up next to him. And when you go up there next to him, I want you to, uh, what did he say? Just get close to him and grab his hand. I'm going to take your picture. I said, okay. I said, all right, I did. So I got on my Instagram, I got about two or three pictures with Jesse on that, you know. Well, yeah, so he goes up to Operation Push almost every Saturday. Uh, so you asked me, you know, how did that enhance me or our ministries? It grew us tremendously. Then the members (laughs) love it. It, When it was just us, it was like, we had about 10 people in the quiet. Now we got about 30 people in the quiet. So it's, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Well, I guess, uh, we will end this. If you want to wrap up just with like a final piece of advice or something that you want to leave the listeners with?
1: My final words to anybody is is to never give up on your dreams, never give up on your goals, to take care of yourself, Uh, especially during this pandemic. Make sure that you take care of your health, take care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Believe it or not, Getting up in the morning, putting God first in your prayers and your devotions. Give him about a half an hour of your time. Ask him in the morning, not just ask him to do things for you, but also ask, what is it, God, that you want me to do for you today? And thank him at night for whatever kind of day you had. Thank the Lord at night for the simple things, a roof over your head, clothes on your back, food on the table, transportation, you know, things that we take for granted. And I would also encourage the listeners to uh, read books, motivational books, inspirational books, read everything, read scientific books. I always bring up Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Highly Effective Living. That's one of the books that has really put a stamp on my life. Seeking first to understand rather than to be understood Win-win. being proactive beginning with the end in mind, synergy, sharpening the saw. you apply those habits to your life, you'll be a bad sister or a bad brother. <laughs> so we just thanking and praising God for this time. The Bible says the vision is yet for an appointed time, and at the end it will speak. It will not lie, though it tarry, to wait on it. I want to encourage you to pray on your knees and stand with power on your feet. Because God's word would not return to him void. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. We will be back next Wednesday. But in the meantime, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Testimony Service Pod. And as always, here is a sneak peek of next week's episode.
1: And we think so often that in our lives that we need to know the whole picture or we're not on board. God doesn't call us to question Him. Like God calls us to believe that He works all things for our good.